0: Hi, this is John Heminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. We come today to the tenth of Christ's messages that are recorded in the Bible. To understand the background of this sermon, you should know that God's people had longed for the coming of the Messiah, or Savior of the world, for centuries before Jesus was born. Many a young Jewish girl down throughout that same period prayed that she would be honored to be the mother of the Christ. Without being part of that culture, it would be hard to imagine the excitement Jesus' disciples felt when Christ told them that he was the promised Messiah. Yet, as we come to this message of Jesus, we see that when our Lord revealed his identity to his closest followers, he immediately began to work to change his disciples' expectations as to what following the Savior would mean for them. Being a disciple of Jesus would not involve great earthly power, wealth, or glory as they envisioned it. Instead, Christ started talking about bearing a cross for him. It would seem that after hearing Christ's words in this message, his own disciples might have asked themselves why Jesus would make such statements. If Jesus truly was God's long-predicted Savior, why all the talk of suffering? I pray you will listen with an open heart to one of Christ's most challenging messages. Our pastor has entitled it, The Cost of Discipleship and the Value of a Soul.
1: I'd like to welcome you again today to our Beacon of Hope broadcast, and if you have your Bible, I'm turning to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be studying this morning a new message of Jesus um, from verses 27 to 38 that deals with the cost of discipleship and the value of a soul. Now, one day several months ago, we were having a men's prayer breakfast at our church, Some of our older vets began to discuss the fact that when they came back to the States from Vietnam, they were treated with great disrespect. One man related how he was told not to wear his uniform in Washington, D.C. unless he was on official business. I believe he was also spit upon while he was on an airplane flight around that same time period. If something similar happened to you, Would you not begin to wonder how many in the country you were serving appreciated what you were trying to do as you served the United States in the military? We have several people in our church family who have sacrificed a portion of their lives to serve in the U.S. military. I would imagine that among our listeners there might be several who have either voluntarily chosen to defend the country or who honorably decided to serve because they were drafted to do so. Some of you were blessed to serve in times of peace. In those times, though the training was still rigorous and dangerous in itself, you were never placed in a situation where you had to take another person's life. Others of you were not so fortunate. Yet, whether serving in times of peace or war, every one of you have made the decision to be a soldier in the U.S. military Those of you that have made that choice realize that you will be inconvenienced by being told where you will live and serve for months, sometimes even years, and you may be placed in a situation where you could die. My question is this, why would you sign up for that? Though there are obviously exceptions, when you are willing to risk your life to serve in the military, you are basically saying that there are some causes, like preserving the freedoms and security of your fellow citizens, that are bigger and more important than your very life. That is why people like me who have never served feel that we owe you, who have, a debt of gratitude for playing your part to maintain the safety and security that we all enjoy here in the United States. Now, Jesus had 12 men who had set aside now a portion of their lives and actually 11 of them, the exception being Judas, 11 of them would really set aside the remainder of their lives in order that they might please him, that they might become followers of Jesus Christ and enter into a different war, actually the war that has been raging since the Garden of Eden, and that is the war for the souls of men. And why would a person sign up to do that? Because we know that when you stand up for Jesus Christ in this culture and just about any other culture in which we live in this world, uh, you will be opposed. You will not be appreciated by many. As a matter of fact, you'll be thought of a fool by many. And it might even be much worse than that, uh, depending on where you live and what happens to you. So why would these men do this? And what does this message of Christ uh, deal with um, that they would need to hear um, at this really important juncture in their lives? They've been following Jesus for some time now. And um, they have believed, I I think that many of them have already um, come to the place where they believe that Jesus is the promised Christ, the Savior that's been talked about in their scriptures uh, from the book of Genesis on. And uh growing up in in, in the, the first century in the, the Jewish households that were God-fearing uh, young men were looking for the Messiah to come and, and and as Jesus of Nazareth began preaching around in the area and called them to become followers of him I believe that many of them already had a good idea that he in fact was the Christ and yet this uh, the, this this passage is when Jesus, came right out and said that he, in fact, was the promised Messiah. And so well, what would that mean to these men? And, and how would that affect them? And, and what how should they live in light of this? So we're going to look at three main things that Jesus is talking about. And the first one is the fact the one whom they are serving. And Jesus, again, is going to identify himself as the promised Messiah. We start in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Now, Jesus and his disciples went out into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So Jesus brings up the question, Who do men say that I am? Who are you you hearing from other people around you? Uh, What are they saying about me, about who I am? They answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting, the descriptions that were coming out about Jesus. It'll give you a little idea of his character. Some people were looking at Jesus and saying he's like John the Baptist. Um, Now, what was John the Baptist known for? Well, John the Baptist was known to be a fearless preacher. He was the fulfillment of two prophecies, Uh, The one was the prediction of a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. That was in in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. That, That prophecy was written 700 years before John was born. There was a second prophecy that seemed to pertain to John the Baptist as well, and that is that he would be a messenger who would prepare the way for the coming Christ. And that prophecy was uttered in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, and that was penned about 400 years before John's birth. And so John is one of the very unusual characters in all of world history whose birth was prophesied. And uh, basically, it's not his birth so much, but his, his ministry, his life was prophesied. They compared him, Jesus, to John the Baptist. Now John, was again, was known to be a fiery preacher when people came to hear him. And uh, uh, many came out of the, uh, the woodwork, as it will. He was, he was preaching in a wilderness area, not, no great draw there. Uh, when, when you think wilderness, don't think nice forest or things of that nature. It's a desert type of area, a very dry and arid uh, region where John was preaching. Yet people would come out of the cities to go hear this man uh, talk of the fact that Messiah is coming and that they needed to prepare for him. But John was bold. Matter of fact, when, when some religious leaders came to listen to John preach, um, he, he did not treat them kindly. He called them snakes. He said they were uh, that they, they needed to be told themselves that they needed to flee from the wrath to come, that they needed to repent, which was absolutely true. But John was bold enough to say it. And so, when people saw Jesus, they saw the boldness like a John the Baptist. Now, they compared him to Elijah. What's interesting with it, they compared him to Elijah. Elijah also was a fearless preacher. Uh, but he also predicted, uh, was predicted in the last couple verses of the Old Testament, that he, his coming would precede the coming of the Messiah. Now, what some people were beginning to figure out, at least some of the disciples seemed to understand, is John the Baptist, maybe he was like Elijah and then Jesus uh, like the Messiah. But some of them, uh, of, of the folks around Jesus did not really understand completely, and so they were, they were thinking that maybe Elijah was, in fact, who Jesus of Nazareth was, uh, was uh, uh, predicted to be. Then others said he's one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting. We have a parallel passage that that also uh, uh, talks about uh, this very same conversation. And the wording is just a little bit different. Let me read it to you. It's out of Matthew 16, verse 14. So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So that's an interesting statement, that that some, when they saw Jesus, compared him to Jeremiah. Now, what was Jeremiah known for? Jeremiah was known for his great compassion. He is called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah lived about um, 600 years before Jesus. He um, uh, predicted and lived through the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire. Uh, Jeremiah was known for weeping. He wrote two books, the the book that bears his name, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, and also the book of Lamentations that he wrote after the fall of Jerusalem. on um, The third time, when the city was destroyed, the temple was was destroyed, and um, really the last remnants of the people that would go into uh, slavery were carted off, um, leaving just a, a very small remnant, one of whom was Jeremiah behind. Jeremiah known for his compassion. Now that gives you an idea of of the character of Christ. He He was fearless in his preaching. And we see this as I've been studying through the messages of Christ. If you've been listening, I think you can see that Jesus was bold in his preaching. He was fearless. But he also had great compassion. The compassion of a Jeremiah The fearlessness of a John the Baptist. And by the way, Elijah not only had that type of fearlessness, but Elijah was a man who who worked some miracles from from God, one of which was was decreeing that there would not be rain until he gave word. And that, uh, that drought lasted for three and a half years, brought the nation of Israel to its knees. So, the miracles of an Elijah, even more so. The, the boldness of a John the Baptist, and I would submit, even more so. And the compassion of a Jeremiah, even more so. That is the Son of God, Jesus. There's just no, been, never been anyone like him. You'll often find that someone with great compassion lacks boldness, that someone with great boldness lacks compassion, and yet Jesus had it all, plus the the ability to heal and and, and to even raise the dead. Uh, Christ, the Son of God, unique. Now Jesus asks another question. He said, Who do men say that I am? The disciples gave him the answer. Verse 29 of Mark chapter 8, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And that's an important question. May I say to you that Jesus would ask you that same question today? Who do you say that Jesus of Nazareth is? Is he a mere man? Maybe a great teacher? Maybe a philosopher? Um, Certainly one who is known in world history? Or is he, in fact, the Son of God? Jesus said himself later on in his ministry, not at at this moment, but he said later on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Romans chapter chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, we're told that we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We will be saved. It's that important who is Jesus to you? He is the Son of God, but do you recognize him as that? Now, so Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? It's rather interesting if you know uh, much about the disciples, the one that seemed to always jump forward with an answer, um, sometimes even um, with a question, the one that seemed to be the spokesman for the 12 was Peter. And so in this case, Again, Peter is the one to speak up. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Peter is saying, Jesus, we believe you are in fact the promised Messiah. Mark does not record uh, everything that Jesus said next, but Matthew, who was there, by the way, Matthew is one of the 12, does. And here's what Matthew uh, uh, writes that Jesus said at that moment. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So in no uncertain terms, Jesus tells Peter that when Peter said that Jesus was God's Christ or the promised Messiah, he was correct. Have you come to understand the identity of the one who many claim to be serving today? I, I think many claim and are not. But if Jesus Christ is God's Messiah, what does that mean to you? Well, it would mean, first of all, that he is your creator. Why do I say that? Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But the Gospel of John, written by one of the twelve who was there that day, the Apostle John, has more detail on that creation. Actually, the one who did the creating. Listen to John chapter 1. I'm turning now to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, that is, through the Word. And without him, nothing was made that was made. You say, well, Well, who is this word that is is with God and is God and is in the beginning with God and made everything? You come down to verse 14 and John uh, lays it out for you. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, who's that? Well, that's obviously Jesus. Jesus became flesh. He became a human being and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. John says, I saw him. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John tells us that Jesus, the one um, who is called the word, uh, the, the literal expression of God on this earth, he is actually the one who created us. So if all things were made by Christ, then you were made by Christ. Thus you owe your very existence to him, and he owns you by right of creation. Now um, who else what else does it mean if Jesus is in fact the promised Christ? Well then he is your redeemer. Not just your creator, but your redeemer. In Acts chapter twenty, I'm flipping to a verse twenty eight. Uh, this would be a, a, a time when, when the apostle Paul was speaking. Acts chapter twenty and verse twenty eight. He says therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That's rather interesting. It's called the church of God, which God says he has purchased with his own blood. Those who deny that Jesus is in fact God uh, would would not be able to answer how how God's blood is poured out for the sins of the world. Obviously, Jesus became a man, and as the God man, his blood was poured out, and so he has redeemed us. He's bought us back to God by his own blood. Ephesians chapter one, I'm flipping to verse seven. Another passage uh, that deals with the fact of of how Christ is our redeemer. What it means to redeem, by the way, is to buy back. If you can uh, think of, uh, when I was a kid, they used to tell a story of a boy who had made a boat and he, and he, and he, and he, and he made it himself so it was his, but, but um, he was floating it out in a creek one day and it got away from him and he lost it. Well, it showed up in a, in a, a pawn shop in the area and so the, the, the owner of the store had no idea that it belonged to the boy and wasn't just going to give it to him. So the boy had to go and, 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 and find some money, earn some money, and then he went and bought the boat back. And that's, that's a decent idea of what it means to be redeemed. And the idea is that God owned us by right of creation. We sold ourselves to sin. And as, as uh, choosing to sin and being under the, the curse of sin, we belong to Satan. And God bought us back to himself on the, uh, on the cross of Calvary when Jesus laid down his life for us. And by the way, he didn't pay Satan off. Actually, it was, it was uh, redeeming us from, from the enemy of sin and the fact that God as righteousness was satisfied to be able to forgive us because our penalty was paid here's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There it is again, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So Jesus is not only our creator, but he's our redeemer. And if God owns you and I by right of creation and redemption, then why do many Christians struggle with the issue of obedience? Why is it that we somehow still think, it's my life, I can do what I want to with it. No, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he owns you twice. He owns you because he made you, and he owns you secondly because he bought you back out of sin to himself. Truly, we we struggle with obedience to God because of unbelief in God and his son, Jesus Christ. So, back in our text, we saw that uh, the person were to serve is, is the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And what's, what's the reality then of service to Christ? How does this work? Well, now that these disciples have heard Jesus himself say, yes, I am the Christ. Peter, you're right. What you are said about me is true. It's not even that you figured it out, Peter. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit revealed this to you. So now that that they know that Jesus is the Messiah, can you imagine how excited these men must have been? I don't know that everybody would have agreed with these 12 men. They're they're coming from different backgrounds. I don't know that every loved one, every friend of theirs would have said, "Oh, oh, we understand you're going to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know that they would have all understood that. Many of them may have thought that they're wasting their time that they're somehow um, uh, throwing away their lives following this rabbi around. Can you imagine the excitement these men must have felt when, and how they must have wanted to go back and tell any of their critics, do you know who I'm following? I'm following the Christ. I'm following our Messiah that's been prophesied down through the ages. Jesus never lies, and he, he told us that he is the Messiah. Can you imagine trying to sleep that night? thinking about the fact that he's going to establish a kingdom that's going to, 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 to last forever, that you're one of the top 12 people in that in that whole setup of the kingdom, wondering what position you might hold. I, I'm sure these men thinking about, about the implications of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, they must have been just so excited. But the reality that they were going to face was far different than what they're imagining at this point. In fact, as soon as Jesus tells them that he is, in fact, the Christ, he begins to change what they're thinking as far as what's about to happen. Verse 30 shows us this and and, and following. Verse 30 says this, Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. That must be exactly the opposite of what they wanted to do. Can I say that when you come to sign up under Jesus Christ, what I mean by that is you have determined I will become his follower. I will follow him. I, I, I will accept him as my Lord and Savior. When you truly understand what that means and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll just tell you this up front God often asks you to deny your natural impulses. Again, once these men heard that he was the Messiah, what's their natural impulse? Tell somebody, tell everybody. Start getting an army together. They were under the heel of Rome at this time. They're not thinking about the cross at all. They have no understanding that Jesus is going to die like that. None. What do they think? They think kingdom. They think the fact that Jesus is going to bring in a great kingdom and they're going to be part of it. And yes, Rome is going to be dealt with, but also there'll be peace on earth and there'll be so many blessings that'll come. In fact, though, God is going to ask them right away. Nope, you're going, to, you're going to have to be silent on this. You may want to tell everybody, nobody. You can't tell your father, your mother, your wife. Peter's married. Uh, you think that some of them might have, have uh, uh, just, just said, well, maybe maybe my best friend. Jesus strictly warned them, tell no one. God often asks you to deny your natural impulses when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else God does. God often does things far differently with your life than you envision. Now, when, again, when these men thought that they have uh, uh, understood that Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, they envisioned the defeating of all of their pagan oppressors, Christ establishing his worldwide kingdom, great blessing coming in, and basically, they're envisioning a life of success and power and fame and peace. Basically, everything you'd want for on this earth. Up until the very evening of his betrayal, they will now be arguing among themselves who will be greatest in his coming kingdom. They're not looking at all for a suffering savior They are looking for a conquering Savior. And so did you notice what Jesus began to teach them right after? Right after he has told them that he's the Christ. Well, listen to verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Those were the religious leaders of the nation and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Now, this is completely different than what they would have imagined. This is not the life that they envisioned. They envisioned Jesus conquering the Romans, conquering any uh, 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 Jewish resistance to him being Messiah, bringing in this wonderful kingdom, Instead, Jesus begins to teach them that as their Messiah, as the promised Christ, he is going to suffer. He is going to be rejected by the greatest spiritual leaders of the nation. He is going to die, and he is going to resurrect from the dead. He is going to conquer death. Let me ask you this question. Is it okay if God leads you in a completely different path then you are now planning to go. It's not always so, but I will tell you that always, always, for his true followers, God reserves the right to place you and I on a different path than you want or that you envision. And even a different path than, honestly, you would choose if you have the choice right now was left up to you. Can you think of anyone in the Bible whom God placed on a much different path than he or she would have chosen to go at that time of his or her life? Well, I've listed several. You might be able to think of some others that I haven't listed here. How about Abel? Abel was Cain's brother, and Abel was the victim of the first murder in the Bible for the Crime it was nothing wrong with it for offering a, 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 the right sacrifice to God, and that was an animal sacrifice. Cain became very jealous of his brother. gained Cain, an unbeliever, who is really a great picture of a person who wants to get to God his own way. Cain rises up and murders Abel, and Abel's life on earth is over. Now his is uh, he's going on to be with the Lord, and what a wonderful blessing that is. But but I'm sure Abel would not have. Uh, uh, really, picked that um, from the earthly standpoint. Now I'm sure he's glad that God took him home. And, and even though he's victim of a murder, How about Noah. Noah is told by God to build an ark, and you can imagine he must have been the laughing stock of so many people all the time that ark was 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 being built. Why build this humongous barge um, out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, claiming that God is going to send rain and flood the whole earth. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm sure that's not the path that Noah would have chosen. He, he probably would have liked to have been, been much more popular and, and got along with people and had a nice, peaceful, happy life. It wasn't the path God had for him. Abraham. Abraham was told to leave his family, to leave his homeland, and to go off and live for the rest of his life as a wandering shepherd in, in what would become uh, the land of Canaan, um, that may not have been the, the, the best, uh, the easiest choice for him. And yet, that was God's will, and, and Abraham followed it, and God has honored him to this very day. Sarah, Abraham's wife, can you imagine telling your wife, well, we're, we're going to leave the city and we're, we're, we're going elsewhere. And she says, well, where are we going? And Abraham did not even know where they were headed. He basically said, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to end up. I know what direction we're going. Didn't know where they were going to end up. They wandered uh, through much of their lives living in tents. I'm sure Sarah would not have picked that. My wife um, is not one for camping. Some of you may really enjoy that. I know one couple that we know that they went camping on their honeymoon. My wife and I just really couldn't imagine that. Uh, she doesn't like sand between her toes. I've kind of come to agree with that. And uh, so, but Sarah isn't going to just, you know, camp out for a few days, even a few weeks. Sarah's gonna live in a tent. Now, again, they'll take care of themselves, but a tent for the rest of her life. Isaac. How about Isaac when when Abraham calls him to come up with him onto Mount Moriah and Isaac is laid on the altar as the sacrifice. Now God did not have Abraham take his son's life but Abraham was willing to do so and Isaac is, is laying there as the sacrifice. I'm sure that's not something that Isaac really wanted to do. How about Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, being told to marry a woman who many would have thought was unfaithful to him. A very small town of Nazareth. I'm sure many people knew that Mary's expecting. And they certainly would have known that she gives birth to a child um, before. Uh, She was was obviously expecting before she and Joseph were were married. Now, Joseph married her before the birth of the Christ child. But many would have known that, that Mary was expecting before they got married. How about that? Would Joseph have made that choice? That, and even though his wife was, was a virgin mother, the only one that's ever existed, the one that God gave, uh, Mary the, the placed the, the Christ child in her womb, would Joseph have chosen that his wife's reputation would be so damaged, and in, in effect his reputation damaged as well for marrying her? Moses was told to leave um, a quiet life of being a shepherd, and, and go and tell, tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go and enter into a huge conflict over that issue. And then Moses is leading uh, uh, probably somewhere around 2 million people out into the middle of the desert on their way to the promised land. And there were many struggles that, that Moses would go through with these people, many of them ungrateful for the goodness of God to them. I, I find it hard to believe that Moses would have chosen that on his own. Matter of fact, he tried to talk to God God out of it. When when God called Moses, he was an older man, 80 years old, and yet Moses did it. Moses followed his Lord. Ruth, Ruth is a widow at a young age. Um, Her husband died, and and she's left without, without without her husband. Now, God gave her another man, but can you imagine the difficulties of that? Uh, the, the one uh, we know as Daniel was, was carted off as a slave when, when his nation was, uh, the nation of Israel, was overrun by the Babylonian Empire. Mary was probably made a eunuch in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, uh, again, these people Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, Daniel, all of them, though God led them on paths they did not expect, did not want. Still, they, they followed their Lord. They were obedient in the confusion, in, the, in, the, in all the struggles that they were in. They followed the Lord, and they are eternally grateful for what God did. Let me also say that none of them would change God's plan for his or her life now. None of them would say, well, God, I sure wish you'd take me a different... No, none of them. Though it was not easy when they were living their circumstances... God's eternal work was done through their lives. Which leads then to verse 32 and 33. We see when Jesus begins to explain to them the reality of what it's like to serve him, and that is you, you don't always get your to go by your what you want to do. Your natural impulses, you can't do them. You, I'm not going to let you talk about who I am right now. The fact that God always, uh, or often, not always, but often does things differently than you envision. He's setting them on a different course. It's not going to be, the Messiah is not what they're thinking. He's not going to just knock the Romans out and, and, and bring in this worldwide kingdom. He's going to deal with a greater enemy than Rome and that is the enemy of sin. And the third thought that we see when Jesus reveals who he is is you don't have a better plan than he does. And that's a struggle Peter's dealing with. Peter, when, when Jesus begins to talk about his death and 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 resurrection, this was so foreign to Peter and really abominable to Peter that verse 32 of Mark 8 tells us this. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, that is a very stern rebuke that Jesus gave Peter here. Get thee behind me, and he calls him Satan. Why? Well, Peter did not like God's plan for Christ. As Jesus says, I am the Messiah, but fellas, it's not going to be like you think. I am going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead. Three days later, Peter didn't like God's plan for Christ. And so Peter then tries to tell Jesus, oh, you're wrong. Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. And then Jesus said, Peter, you're actually speaking like the devil. In what way? Because Peter's motive was man-centered, not God-centered. You see, if Jesus doesn't set up the kingdom, Peter doesn't rule. If Jesus dies on a Roman cross... And, and yes, resurrects from the dead, but, but doesn't set up the kingdom, then Peter's not exalted. And what Jesus is, he's looking right into Peter's heart. And he's saying, Peter, you're really not concerned about the things of God. You're concerned about the things of man. You're looking at it from man's viewpoint and a selfish viewpoint. And those of you that have served in the military, you know that ultimately, when you sign up, To be in the military, it's really not your will. It's the U.S. military's will that's going to be done, whatever branch of service you're in. If you're in the Navy, it's the Navy's will. They're going to tell you where to go. They're going to tell you what job you're going to perform. Now, you can sometimes get a few options, and they may or may not honor those options. Those of you who've been there, you don't understand what I'm talking about. So if Jesus is is saying, yes, I am the Christ, but, fellas, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go, The reality of serving me is you don't just get to do what you want to do. That God's plans often are different than what you're thinking. And that you don't have a better plan. You better listen to God's plan. Well, then we come to the last five verses of the chapter, verses 34 down to verse 38. And this is where Jesus gives the call to bear a cross with him. Now, just remember, the cross is not some beautiful article that you put on someone's neck today. The cross, back in, in, in Jesus' day, was a way that people were being, being put to death by the Romans. Matter of fact, during this time period, Pontius Pilate, who was the one who actually sentenced Jesus, put to death many people around him, many of them Jewish And when Jesus is saying to his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me, he is talking about the worst, most most horrific death that you could experience. He's saying, uh, this is the kind of loyalty I'm expecting out of you, fellas. We're not not going to be reigning and ruling over people. We're going to be suffering as part of what is, is necessary for God's kingdom to come to this earth. Well, let's notice, that, first of all, this call pertains to all Christ's followers. It's not just for those 12. It's for you and I if we want to follow him today, too. Because Jesus says this, when he had called the people to himself. So think about it. Jesus, again, calling the people to him, uh, like he did in our last message of Christ, where he calls them together. Hey, fellas, I want you all coming around, men and women, I want you to come around. I want you to hear this. He called the people to himself with his disciples also. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me so whoever means if you any of you want to be jesus follower you need to practice self-denial you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross that is the the burden that god gives you to bear that may even result in your own torturous death that's what he's saying take up the cross that god gives you to bear uh, and by the way, there aren't uh, uh, three different uh, levels of entry into Christ's silver. Like, oh, well, there's a you know, you can go with a silver plan or minimum dedication or the gold plan where there's partial dedication to the Lord. Or if you really want to be uh, rewarded in eternity, go with a platinum plan and complete dedication to the Lord. That's not how it works. Jesus is saying, you got to pick up your cross, If you, whoever you are who you want to follow me. doesn't sound like merely I can mouth a few words and, and uh, get into Christ's kingdom. I will say this, that God is saying that faith in Christ is salvation. But I will just warn you that there are many people who have prayed a prayer to God and really had no faith in, in Christ, no repentance of their sins, no desire to become uh, one of his disciples. And that's not salvation. I, I, I hate to tell you, it's the truth. It's, that is not salvation. Let me just talk to you briefly about three crosses that God may ask you to bear. And it could be any or all of these. First of all, there's the cross of your own making. This would be pictured, when you think of it, of the thieves who were crucified with Jesus. This is the consequences you face for foolish and sinful decisions. You can either continue to try to run from your consequences, or you can shoulder them. Think of a man who was, a number of years ago, uh, uh, was saved and he had committed a major crime. As a result of his conversion, he um, had not been caught in this crime. And he came forward and he confessed it, being willing to go to prison. Now, uh, in the unusual nature of that and the fact of the, the, how long it had been, the statute of limitations actually, I believe, it had run out and he was not uh, told to go to prison. I, I'm not sure if it was a, a, a theft If it was, I believe he worked to repay the money that was owed. But it was a cross of his own making, and he picked it up because he became a follower of Jesus Christ. There's there's the cross that is thrust upon you. A good example of this one would be Simon of Cyrene, the the man who who was just returning to Jerusalem, and a Roman soldier grabs him because Jesus was no longer physically capable of carrying his cross to Calvary. And Simon of Cyrene was given the, the gruel Uh, task of of picking up Jesus' cross and carrying it to where Jesus would be crucified. A good example of this cross today is maybe a a problem or some tragedy that came into your life. You, you You didn't choose it. You didn't even really cause it by a sinful choice. It just was thrust upon you, just like the cross was thrust upon Simon of Cyrene. Maybe it was a physical problem that's come into your life. Maybe it's a tragedy that's come into your life. Someone who died or, 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 uh, or, or uh, um, as, uh, uh, again, a disease that has afflicted you. You didn't choose this cross, but God expects you to bear it. He's given you this as part of your life, and he wants you to bear it for his glory with a good attitude, with a good spirit. There's a third type of cross. Not only the cross of your own making, something that you did that really caused you to have consequences that, that God expects you now to, to, uh, to, to uh, live up to and face. Uh, there's the cross that's thrust upon you. That's something that, that God has allowed in your life that's very difficult, very torturous. Some of you are taking care of older loved ones. You know what this is like. Others of you may have a child that, that has a severe handicap and you love that child, but you just long to see them to see, see them healthy, and, and, and you're going to minister to them. But then there's a third type of cross, the cross you choose to bear. And this is the, really the kind of cross mainly that I think Jesus is talking about here. Let him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is pictured by Jesus himself, not fighting against his enemies as God's son, but submitting to his father's will by dying in our place. This is the cross you choose to bear out of your loyalty to Christ for the good of his eternal kingdom. An example of this are Christians who are persecuted because they're unashamed of their faith in Jesus. Willing to lose a job promotion because you will not lie for the company. Being despised because you will not deny your faith. Being loyal to a spouse who is disloyal to you. Torturous almost takes your health away, may, may in fact take your health away. Let me quickly give you five additional thoughts concerning bearing a cross for Christ, a cross that you choose to bear. First of all, the lost think bearing a cross is utter foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the, the message of the cross is to those who perish foolishness. Here's a couple and, and uh, one of them is being unfaithful to the other. How many friends step in and say, well, that person's a loser. You, you don't need to be loyal to him. He's not loyal to you. Or you don't need to be loyal to her. She's running around on you. And yet you know as a Christian, you've given a vow before God that you would be loyal till death parts you. And you believe and you're right on this that you should be loyal. It makes no sense those who don't know jesus and it makes no sense matter of fact there are many people who claim to know jesus that'll tell you to drop that cross think about how many people encouraged jesus to save himself the thieves who were hung on either side of him said one of them said save yourself and us matter of fact they both seem to say that at one point roman soldiers said the same thing christ's own enemies in in berating him said the same thing save yourself Many think that bearing a cross is utter foolishness. Many people will advise you to put down your cross, especially the cross of your own choosing, when you will stand in loyalty to your Savior and, be, and, and go through great suffering because of it. A third thing about that cross of your own choosing, bearing your cross may cost you your life. That's what crosses are supposed to do. I will tell you that if your cross takes your life, many will be saved due to it. I believe God doesn't waste pain, He doesn't waste suffering. But there are some who will lay down their lives and bear a very difficult burden out of loyalty and love for someone else. There are some in 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 again in, in just in God's plan. And there they will take care of a loved one and that and and, and this loved one is suffering. And greatly, maybe again, could be a, a mental, physical handicap, could be just, just whatever's going on. But because of their loyalty and because they're taking care of that loved one, they don't have a normal life for themselves. They may never marry. They may never be able to do many of the things that they would have envisioned. I'm not saying in every case that is God's will, but if that is what God calls you to do, yes, it may cost you the better part of your life. And there may be times when you never are able to do what you would have wanted to do as a a young person, what you envisioned that you would do. You're bearing a cross that you feel that God wants you to bear. Bearing a cross will change your life, absolutely. You'll never be able to be the same when you've borne a cross for your Lord. And running from your cross is one of the greatest mistakes you could ever make in life. Here's how Jesus put it when he talked to Peter. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And he's not just saying this to Peter. He's saying this to the entire group. Remember, he said, if any of you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross. And he's saying, if you run from your cross, you're going to blow your life. You're going to waste your life. Now, he puts it into context because the reality is the reason why God tells his children to bear a cross is the same reason why God told his son to bear his cross, only obviously us who are lesser degree, Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. But in, in our case, when he calls us to bear a cross, it is for an eternal purpose. It is something for God's eternal glory and for the souls of men. And Jesus is demonstrating this. He says this, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So you won't follow Christ because you've got something else. And let's say you got exactly what you wanted. You became, uh, maybe your desire was to become a, a famous entertainer. And, and, and so you will not accept Christ. you you go your own way. You'll do your own thing. And let's say you become a world-famous entertainer. And you have all kinds of money and all kinds of friends and fame. And, and, and so many people uh, uh, say you're a wonderful person and know your name. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He is saying, you've made a bad trade. Even if you got everything you wanted, and you didn't pick up your cross, and you walked away from Christ, you made a bad trade. And then he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Of him shall the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. He calls you and I, who truly want to follow him, to focus on the eternal. Get your eyes off of the present, get them on the eternal. Because of he of who Jesus is and because of the value of your soul and because of the value of the souls around you, Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. That is his message in this, in this sermon that Jesus gives us. So let me just draw some brief conclusions. Number one, Christ is not claiming to be a great religious leader. He is claiming to be God in the flesh. And as your creator and redeemer, he can be trusted with your life. As creator, you can trust his wisdom and his power. As redeemer, you can trust his goodness and his love. So there is no reason to go your own way, to to correct his plan for your life. You do not have a better plan. And failure to apply that truth is due to unbelief. Thirdly, his plans make no sense to the worldly-minded. So if you don't know Christ as Savior, it makes no sense to dedicate your life to him. But Because to to truly follow Jesus involves self-denial and bearing a cross. But it boils down to this. You must choose whether you will take up your cross and follow him or you will go your own way. But let me warn you, when you go your own way, eventually you're going to be all by yourself with the consequences of your selfish life. I would encourage you, I would beg you to trust God with your past, Christ can forgive and save you. That's exactly why He died on the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ, uh, let Him forgive and save you. Trust God not only with your past but with your future. Believe Christ's assurances about heaven for His followers. But if you can trust him with your past and you can trust him with your future, you should be able to trust him with your present. Trust him with your circumstances right now. Trust his plan and follow him with all of your heart. The reality is we are in the battle of the ages for not only our individual souls that we must again give over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but once we know him for the souls of men. And just as many of those who served in our military were not appreciated when they came home from Vietnam, did not find great love and respect by many. The reality is you don't serve Jesus Christ to be patted on the back, to be uh, uh, become the most popular person in your community. You pick up your cross and you follow him because you have a calling that is higher than your life. You've, you've been called to fight in the ultimate battle the battle for the souls of men. Father, I pray that you would call some today to join that battle, to turn from their sin, to turn to Jesus Christ, to pick up their cross and follow him. We pray this for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at com. Pastor Jones began this study of the Messages of Christ in our church about two years ago, so if you would like to see the original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. Under the video tab, there's a separate playlist for the Messages of Christ series. If you know someone who is shut in and unable to attend church in person, we live stream our services weekly. Next week, you can look for that service to be streamed at approximately 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. We also have some exciting news. Our church annex remodeling project is almost completed, so we plan to reopen our Sunday school ministry with classes for all ages next Sunday, October 4th. However, this move means that we need to change the time of our morning service from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. So as of next Sunday, October 4th, we plan to start Sunday school at 9 a.m. and our normal worship service at 10 a.m. We are also once again providing a junior church ministry for young children who are a little too small to understand the morning message, so we hope if you live anywhere close to us that you will make an effort to come and see us. If you have no idea where Calkins is, our church is located about 10 minutes from Beach Lake, PA, about 20 minutes from Honesdale, PA, and about 10 minutes from Narrowsburg, New York. We also have evening Bible studies at Calkins at 6.30 p.m. on both Sunday and Wednesday nights. Currently, Pastor Andrew J. is teaching through the Book of Daniel on Sundays, while Pastor Lane Jones is doing brief devotionals at the beginning of our Wednesday night prayer service. You are welcome to attend any of these services. If you would like to share this radio message with a friend, you can find a link to our podcast on our Facebook page. Just look for a radio bold icon on our feed. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.